Uh, we ask you to submit questions to us, and, and we said nothing is off limits. You're allowed to ask any question uh, that you want, whether it be about uh, gay marriage or ISIS or uh, creation, evolution, whatever it is that you want to ask and whatever you want us to address from the Bible, uh, we would do so. Uh, we received your questions through email, through text, um, and we received over 40 questions, uh, and we realized, well, that's a lot of questions, and um, we're, we're going to have to figure out how to do this. And so what we did is we, we put those questions essentially into categories and have been tackling those categories um, kind of in big chunks and sections. Let me just say this before we dive into our questions for today. One, uh, there were lots of questions about parenting. Um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, we have about 50 bajillion kids. Um, <laughs> here at our church. Uh, and so there are a lot of young parents, which means there are a lot of parenting questions. What, what do we do? Uh, you know, do we, do we spank them? Do we not spank them? You know, like, I, I don't know what to do. I want to choke them. I, you know, somebody help me. Um, so we, we had a lot of questions like that. And here's what we're going to do with those questions. Uh, the leadership team right now is working to put together a parenting class on Sunday nights um, where those questions would be answered, okay? Uh, in addition, we also received a lot of questions about salvation, uh, meaning how, how is someone saved? How do you know someone is saved? Um, how do you know somebody is a true believer? Uh, we had a lot of, of questions like that um, also asked. And here's what we're going to do as we dive into uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, which is where we're going next, those questions will be addressed in that series, okay? So that brings us to our set of questions today. Again, these are questions that you submitted. Uh, I will read them and we will go from there, okay? Here's a sampling of your questions. How are we as Christians to engage in politics? As Christians, how do I know the right or the wrong person to vote for? How do we or can we keep people from looking at us like right-wing nutjobs? <laughs> hey, this is your questions, all right? Uh, can we change their view of us as intolerant and ignorant bigots? Here's another set of questions. Can we take a stand for conservative biblical views without being offensive? Do you see a time coming in our politically correct society when naming the name of Jesus and claiming the gospel will be against the law and considered a hate crime? If so, what do we do? The Bible says obey the government, but <clears throat> what will we do if we are asked to do something that violates our faith? Okay, so in the uh, South, there are two things you're not supposed to talk about. That is religion and politics. Uh, this morning, I will do both, okay? Um, so if by answering any of our previous questions, I have not offended you, maybe it'll happen today. Uh, that, that is obviously not my goal, uh, but uh, we, we are going to talk about religion and politics, okay? And, and here is why we need to. We need to because we all know, we all see, we all sense and feel that the political climate has changed, okay? It, it's changed. That is completely, totally undeniable that the political climate in our country has changed. Let me just give you, this is an example from my life, how I have seen the political climate change. When I was growing up, we started our day out in school with two things, okay? You know what those two things were? One, the Pledge of Allegiance. We, we, everyone stood, the teacher stood in front of the room, there was the flag, 
and, and we said the Pledge of Allegiance as a class, and we included the very famous phrase, one nation, we said that in class. And then the teacher would say, now bow your heads for a word of prayer, and the teacher would then conclude that prayer in Jesus' name. Okay, that, that was my experience growing up. Now, for some of you in the room, uh, you're younger than me, and so you're going, what? That does not happen. That's illegal. You can't do that. For others of you, you're older than me in the room, and you're saying, yes, I, I experienced that also. In addition, how about this for, for those of you who are uh, the older seasoned saints in the room? The, one of my principals okay, had a paddle in his office, okay, and he used it. <laughs> Isn't that awesome, right? But I mean, how, but, but how crazy is that to think about today? I mean, that principal would be locked up. He'd be on every news media outlet. We'd be flooding the parking lot. I mean, that, that would just be insane, right? So, so we're seeing things, uh, how about this one? Um, when I was growing up, here's what would happen. If two kids got in a fight, the teachers would then work with the two kids to see whose fault it was, and if one of the kids had punched a bully in the nose, they gave that kid a sucker and sent him back to class. That's how that was handled. Now, how is it handled? Well, both of them are punished because there, there's no right or good reason for any violence whatsoever in school. Okay? So, so why all of these? That's just experience from my life. So, so why have all these things changed? It's because the political climate in our nation has changed. It's not just in schools, but it's also beyond. Divorce and abortion were once illegal, but now we see them as common rights. Children were born out of wedlock, was once very rare, but now it is the norm. Pornography and other graphic images were once against the law, but now they are available for all eyes to see on every magazine rack in every gas station. What was once illegal to say on TV, radio, and film began to be repeated with great frequency. The truth is, we live in a day where it is more politically acceptable for a man to have a husband than it is for him to pray in public in Jesus' name. So the question for Christians that we're asking is, what happened? What are we to do? Should we do anything at all? to address these issues, these political issues um, in our nation. So how should Christians engage in politics? That's the question. So here's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna give you four views, okay? Four views of how Christians should, if they should at all, engage in politics, okay? I wanna give you four views. Um, the, the first three are, nah, uh, the last one is right, okay? I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you now. Um, but I, I do want to give you these views and say that, that some people hold them um, and, and you might identify with those, but I wanna give you some reasons why they might not be the best views. And, and then I wanna give you what I think is, is a more biblically holistic perspective of how Christians should engage in politics. Then I wanna talk about what is the church's role in politics? Uh, and then I wanna talk about what does Jesus have to say about politics? Okay, so th those things. What are, what are the Christian views? How should we engage in politics? What's the church's role in politics? And then what does Jesus have to say about politics? Is that okay? Is that good? Okay, let's start. Should Christians engage in politics? Very first view, number one. 
Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. We should exclude our religious thoughts from the public conversation. Okay, that is the first view. View number one, uh, I know professing believers who hold this view, uh, that they say we should not um, engage in politics with our Christian views in tow. We leave our Christian views in, in the pews at church, and when we go to the polls, okay, we're going with a different rationale. Okay, so Christianity, Christian views over here, political views over here. We do not bring it. So, so we need to take the Ten Commandments off of everything. Okay, it shouldn't be in any government building, shouldn't be in any schools, anything like that. Um, if there are any type of Christian symbols uh, on any type of, uh, of county seals or, or, or whatever, um, uh, th- then we should remove all religious symbolism, the Ten Commandments, all that stuff should be gone. We should not make people say, in God we trust. Uh, so on and so forth, okay? Reason being, that is offensive to people. We, we should not force our Christian views into the public arena, into the public eye. Um, rather, we, we do that on the side, we do that elsewhere in other places, but the, the political arena is not the place to promote or push Christian views or values, You must, when coming to the polls, leave your religion at the door. You must have a rational and non-religious reason for casting your votes. Again, many people, even non-Christians, hold this view. For this reason, recently, a a valedictorian at a certain school in Las Vegas, was asked to remove Christ in her speech. Okay, so the valedictorian gets up and she's gonna make her speech at the school and she was asked to remove Christ from it. She did not. And in the middle of her speech, the principal went and cut the sound for constitutional reasons. Okay, that, that is the idea that Christianity and Christian thought should be removed uh, from the public eye. In addition, in a recent court case in Colorado, a man received the death penalty by a jury of his peers for committing rape and murder, but his attorney appealed the ruling for improper conduct or juror misconduct because some of the jury members used the Bible in the deliberations as they discussed the eye for an eye passage from Leviticus. The... Uh, Then what happened next was it essentially got appealed up to the Supreme Court and the death penalty was removed and he received life instead. Okay, this is happening in our world today. Uh, Many people are viewing and, and saying that we must remove Christianity from all public thought. Leave your Christianity in the pews and and take your rationality um, to the polls. Okay? That is one view. What's the problem with this view? Well, there are many. Here's the first one. It is against the biblical examples. It's against biblical examples. So so if you're here this morning, you're a believer, and and you say, well, I kind of think that's right. We should remove our Christian views from from the political arena. We we shouldn't take those there. The problem is that goes against what we see in the Bible. These great examples who have gone before us, people like Daniel, uh, people like John the baptizer, people like John the apostle, Peter, Paul, and Jesus himself all talked about their faith and promoted Christian ideas and Christian values in the public arena in front of government officials, okay? So that's the very first reason why we should reject view number one, okay? The truth is we all see life, or Christians should see all of life through the light of the gospel. 
We as Christians, we as believers, we should not compartmentalize our lives. Meaning, um, all of my faith happens at church, okay? But when I go home, we don't talk about faith. We don't read the Bible together. We don't pray together as a family. We do all the praying and Bible reading at church. We do all the family stuff here at home. In addition, when I go to work, I do all the work stuff here. I don't talk about my family. I don't talk about religion. I'm here to work. We we live compartmentalized lives, and, and that's simply not what the Bible calls us to do. As Christian believers, we view all of our life through the lens of the gospel, through gospel implications. So it is impossible for us to, to not make assertions, meaning uh, take firm political stances without bringing what we believe about Jesus into that equation. As a matter of fact, it is the key thing that we are basing all of that on, the gospel and Jesus, okay? So as Christians, we should reject this view. In addition, this is an irrational request. It's an irrational request to say, uh, leave your theology at home when you come to the polls, okay? That's an irrational request. Why is that an irrational request? It's an irrational request because to say, leave your theology at home when you come to the voting polls, that is by nature a theological statement. It's making a theological assertion to say, leave your theology at home when you come to the polls. That is making a theological assertion. What's the theological assertion? The theological assertion is this. God is not that important. He's not important enough to be brought to the polls. His his views or what he says in his word should be left out. So the person who says, leave your theology at home, they're making a theological statement. So therefore, no one, look at me, no one comes to the polls unbiased. Nobody. We're all biased. We're all bringing those bias to the polls. So so to say, well, you should leave, you know, religious people are biased and you should leave that bias at home and and make rational decisions based on what's best for society without having religion weigh in on that. Well, that, that's, no, no one does that. Everyone is coming to the polls with ideas about who and what God is, with ideas about what the Bible is, okay? Even atheists and agnostic people, when they come to the polls, they have ideas about who God is, about what the Bible says, whether it's true, whether it, right? You guys with that one? In addition, why should we we reject the first view? Because it is unconstitutional, okay? It is unconstitutional, The problem with the first view is that it promotes freedom from religion, not freedom of religion. Okay, let me just read the First Amendment. Here we go. Here's the First Amendment. Congress shall pass no law respecting an establishment of religion. Okay, here's what that means. Um, What the, the founding fathers were seeking to do is not have uh, the, the first United States church. Okay, they, they were saying government should not do that. Okay, or the, you know, the, the, the Church of Georgia or the Church of South Carolina or whatever. Their, their hope was that that would not happen. They, they, they just came from that. They did not want that. Okay? First Amendment again. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, watch this, or prohibiting the free exercise. Okay, that's important. Or prohibiting the free exercise thereof 
or abridging the freedom of speech or of press or the right of people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. Okay, so the first view to say you should take all of your religious thought out of the public square that, and, and you're not allowed to talk about God or you're not allowed to say in God we trust, you're not allowed to pray if you want to in a public setting, that is the violation of the First Amendment and the violation of freedom of speech, okay? So we should reject that view. In addition, if someone wants to base their, their convictions, their moral convictions or voting convictions on whatever they want to, they should be able to. Meaning, if someone wants to base their moral and voting convictions on Lord of the Rings or Lord of the Fries, that's fine. They're free as an American to do so as long as I'm free as an American to base my moral choices and views and moral voting convictions on the Bible, right? Okay, so, so we reject view number one, okay? Everybody still on the same page with me? View number two, we should do evangelism, not politics, Okay, so should Christians engage in politics? Not really, no, nah, don't, don't worry about that. Engage in evangelism. We should be about evangelism. Do evangelism, don't do politics, you know? Watch this. How do we change a society? How do we change um, a, a whole town or a whole city or a whole nation for that matter? How do we change it? Well, we change it by changing people, right? How do we change people? Well, we change them at the heart level by sharing the gospel with them so that then, then people would want to do what is good and right because they love Jesus. Therefore, do evangelism, not politics. Anybody persuaded now? I held this view for a really long time. For the first five years of my ministry, I held this view. That, that politics were not that important. You don't get much done anyway. So, so don't bother with it and focus on evangelism because evangelism changes people. It changes people at the heart level. It changes their desires. The, the gospel is the radical message of Jesus Christ. And we should be promoting that and saying that. After all, look, we, we don't wanna get off track here. You know, I, I don't wanna get bogged down in who's running or who's doing this or who's doing that or what, what's their tax plan and what other platforms. Who, who cares about all that? I wanna talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I wanna talk about the life, the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus. Let's not get off track and get bogged down in politics, okay? Pretty persuasive if you ask me. Again, th this is the view that I held to for a really long time. Didn't vote, didn't care to. Um, who, you know, what do you think about this person or this person? What do you think about this? Oh, who cares? You know, don't, don't worry about it. Let, let's just talk about Jesus, okay? So what is the problem? What's the problem with the second view or the second position? Well, the issue with it is this. It ignores clear and biblical commands. It ignores clear and biblical commands. Galatians 6.10, so then, as we have opportunity, okay, as we have opportunity, do what? Let us do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith. Okay, does that mean then if I have an opportunity to protect the unborn, to do good to the unborn, do I do it? Yes, which essentially means I am now engaged in politics. 
Okay, so do we do evangelism? Yes and amen, absolutely. We engage ourselves in evangelism. We, we sing about King Jesus. We tell people about Jesus, but, but we also don't ignore the other commands of the scriptures to do good to people, meaning we advocate for things that are good. Meaning we, we, we want to see laws put into place that are for the good of the society as a whole, okay? Uh, uh, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared, right? So, so that is what we are to be doing as Christians, engaging our society, seeking their good and doing good works. In addition, Matthew 22.39, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, Okay. Okay. So does that mean that we advocate for laws against drunk driving? Yes. That is loving to our neighbors to do. So we do evangelism. Yes. And we do what is good and right for our neighbors and for the love and service of other people. We seek to restrain evil in our world. This is what Christians should be about. This is what Christians should be doing. Okay, does preaching the gospel restrain evil? Yes, okay. Preaching the gospel does restrain evil. Does advocating for good and right laws restrain evil? Yes, yes. So we do both. We do both. We, we don't say to, to heck with the political process. It doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't do anything. Uh, let's just focus on evangelism. Uh, rather, we say we want to do evangelism and restrain evil in our world as representatives of God. So we've dismissed view one, dismissed view two. Here's the third view. Christians should be involved in politics and should advocate for laws that would require distinctly Christian practice. Okay, um, require laws, okay, that, that require distinctly Christian practice. This is the third view that, that I want to discuss. So uh, we, uh, maybe we would say something like this. Isn't it good for people to go to church? Well, that's a good thing, right? So let's make it a law. <laughs> you know, first thing in the morning, you know, officer so-and-so comes to the door. You know, I, I see you're still sleeping in there. It's time for church. You know, it's, it's the law around here. You got to go to church, right? Wouldn't that be a good law to advocate for? How about this? Uh, you know, before you sit down to eat your McDonald's hamburger, if you do not bow your head and pray, you're fined $200, right? We, we start to advocate for laws that are distinctly Christian uh, practices. Oh, oh, also, if, uh, if on your tax forms, if, if you check the, the box, you know, I'm a, I'm a deacon um, or, you know, I, I serve the church, you know, you get half off on your taxes, Hey, who's, who's in for that law, right? Okay, okay. Right, so, so maybe, maybe for the good of society, we should begin to advocate for distinctly Christian practices. Christians should engage in politics, and, and we should seek to see our nation be truly, okay, this would be controversial, truly a Christian nation, okay? Truly a Christian nation. And, and, and we can do that by advocating those type of distinctly Christian laws, Okay? Doesn't sound like a terrible view. What's the problem with it? What are the issues with this view? Here's an issue. This clearly goes against Jesus' position. This clearly goes against Jesus' position. Uh, back in Luke chapter nine, 
uh, Jesus is going around and he's teaching and he's preaching. And, and he takes some of his disciples and he says, hey guys, I want you to go into this Samaritan town. Okay, I, I want you to tell them that I'm about to come in there and, and, and preach. And so go in there and, and get them ready to, to, to hear the, the gospel, to hear the good news. And, and his disciples go in, they, they start talking to people. Hey, Jesus is coming. He's gonna come and he's gonna teach and, and preach and he's gonna share the, the, the good news with you guys. And, and, and they rejected it. No, we don't, we don't want him to come here to, to heck with Jesus. We don't wanna hear anything about that. The disciples go back and say, hey, Jesus, this, these Samaritans, they don't want you coming in their village. Interesting question uh, James and John ask next. Jesus, do you want us to call down fire on them? You know, they rejected you, Jesus. They don't want you in their town. Should we call down fire? Should, should we punish them for not doing what is distinctively Christian? Should, should we make them or force them to, to listen to you, to hear you? Should we punish them with hellfire and brimstone because they didn't want anything to do with you, Jesus? You know what he does? He rebukes them. He rebuked them for that, okay? So from that, I'm, I'm pulling out the principle that, that that is not the way Jesus would have us establish laws that make people or force people into religious practices, okay? So it clearly goes against Jesus' position. Christianity is a faith-based religion, not a practice-based religion, Meaning, you can do all the stuff and not be a Christian. Meaning, you can go to church, you can carry around a Bible, you can wear a suit, you can read King James only, you can do whatever, you can help old ladies across the street, you can pray three times a day, you can do all of that stuff and still not be a Christian because Christianity is not a practice-based religion, it is a faith-based religion. Now, watch this. Once you do have true saving faith in Christ, then you will have Christian practice but you can't do it the other way around. So it, it seems unhelpful, and there again, we're onto another problem with this view. This will make many people Christian by name only, and therefore weaken Christianity as a movement. If we start legislating distinctly Christian practice, then people will say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I mean, I have to do all the stuff. It's the law. The problem is they might not truly, really, honestly have saving faith in Christ. They might not really be a Christian. Um, and, and so, therefore, it weakens the movement of Christianity. Listen, people in the South, how devastating has that been to our movement here in the South? To, to see people who are Christian by name only, they, they don't really love Jesus, they don't really wanna serve Jesus, they don't wanna give their lives to Jesus, they don't wanna train their children to, to love Jesus. As, they're not sharing their faith, doing any of that stuff, they're just Christian by name only. How detrimental has that been to the Christian movement here in the South? It's been incredibly detrimental. So imagine that on a national scale, okay? So, I submit to you that view number three is also a very poor view. Don't think it works. Fourth view, and the one I think and see as the best. Number four, Christians should advocate for religious freedoms, okay, watch this, and for laws that restrain evil, okay? We should advocate for religious freedom. That's, that's a part of what our country was founded upon, religious freedoms. Not freedom from religion, but freedom of religion. And we should advocate for laws that restrain evil, 
as, as Christians, as Christ bearing his image in the world, as being his representatives, we seek to restrain evil. This means people can practice any religion that they want to. If they want to go to the Baptist church, Presbyterian, Methodist, non-denominational, fundamental, charismatic church, or anything in between, they should not be restrained. If someone wants to worship Buddha, Gandhi, Muhammad, or Krishna as an American, they should be free to do so. Watch this. And I should be free to tell those people who are worshiping false gods, I should be free to tell them the gospel without that being hate speech, okay? They should be free to practice any religion that they want to, and we in the public square should be able to disagree with people without being seen as ignorant or intolerant. We're not being ignorant or intolerant, we're just disagreeing with you. Those are two totally different things. So, So we should be able to say those things in the public square to be able to practice whatever religion we want to and have honest dialogue and discourse. So people should be free to practice whatever religion they want to and other people should be free to disagree with them. In addition, we need to advocate for laws that restrain evil. This is our Christian duty. Here's what I mean. Abortion is evil. Racism is evil. Murder, child abuse, pedophilia, domestic violence are all evil. And we as Christians need to work together with the government, with politicians to see that those evils are restrained. Again, if you take the view that we only should do evangelism, what what do you do to the guy who is abusing his wife? If that is your view to only do evangelism, then what you must do is not lock that guy up, but share the gospel with him. I think you should do both. I think you should lock him up and share the gospel with him. But that means we need those laws in place. So that is what Christians should do. Okay, let me say it this way. Do you think that Jesus wants all children everywhere to get the best education they can? That's a really easy question. The answer is yes. Jesus wants all children everywhere to get the best education that they can. What does that mean? It means that we then back politicians who are going to help fix the education system in our country. Do you think that Jesus wants criminals to turn their lives around and stop committing crimes? Yes, then that means we back candidates, we we back policies that are going to help fix the broken prison system in our country. Do you, okay, you you guys get get the picture here. We we fight and and advocate for laws um, that restrain evil. Do, Do you think Jesus wants men to be able to support their families? Yes, therefore, we, we need to back candidates who are going to help fight unemployment, okay? You, you, get, you get what I'm saying, okay? So what are the implications for us as Christians if this fourth view is correct? Here are the implications. Every Christian has the responsibility to be an informed voter, meaning do your homework. Do your homework, you need to prayerfully consider whom it is you believe is going to restrain the most evil and back that person or party, okay? That is what you need to do as an informed voter. You need to do your homework. 
Sadly, sadly, uh, many of us just go with whoever because that's what we think, and, and we haven't done our homework. We don't know what platforms they're going off of. We don't know what they advocate or don't advocate. We just like them because they have a nice smile or because they're the party that we always go with, um, and so we just go with that person or, or we go with that, right? Instead, we need to, as informed people, do our homework, um, go online, do your research, prayerfully seek God, and then become an informed voter and advocate for people, politicians, and policies which will help restrain evil because we are Christ, bearer, Christ image bearers, because we are here in this world to represent Christ to the world. Therefore, um, we must represent him by restraining evil in the world. Okay, on to the next question. What is the church's role in politics? Okay, what is the church's role in politics? Now, what I've been talking about thus far is the Christian's role. What, what is your responsibility um, to government? What is your responsibility in the political arena? Um, and, and what I wanna talk about now is what is the church's role specifically? What is gospel community church's role in politics? Number one. The church, specifically gospel community church, should not align itself with a particular party or person. Gospel community church, okay? So, so the official statement from the pulpit or in our written documentation or whatever, we should and will not, gospel community church will not align itself with a particular party. Here's what that means. Gospel community church is not a Republican church. We are not a democratic church. We are not an independent church, okay? We are Jesus church. Here's what we do at this church. We align ourselves and unite ourselves under the banner of Jesus Christ. That is it. We, okay, so when the band started playing and singing, they weren't singing about any political party. They weren't singing about any political candidate. They weren't singing about anything other than King Jesus. That is the banner under which we unite, Okay, so, so you're never gonna hear me say you should vote for this person or this party. We simply won't do that. I won't do that. Here is why, because that will unnecessarily create divisions. It's not good. It's not helpful. There, there are a hundred views um, on that topic. Okay, look, we teach, <laughs> we teach doctrine from the Bible um, and sometimes that can be divisive. I don't know if you guys know that or not. People disagree, uh, especially with, with some of our views because they, they are fundamental in nature. And so what I don't want to do is bring any unnecessary controversy. The gospel is already controversial enough. The, the gospel is that you are a sinner. That, that's where it begins, okay? That's pretty controversial to tell people they're sinners. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner, you've messed up, I've messed up. No one gets to stand before God and hand him their resume and say, look, I, I'm worthy. None of us get to do that. And so what the gospel says is that then Jesus, he's the one, uh, we, we get his resume because his resume is flawless. And, and then, so what happens when you stand before God on judgment day, you don't hand him your resume, you take Jesus' resume and you hand it to God the Father. Okay, that, that, that's how, that's how that, that is the awesome news of the gospel and that, that him giving you his resume, that is a free gift. You don't, you don't have to earn it. As a matter of fact, you can't earn it. He earned it all on the cross. 
And so now we live in light of those implications and we live a holistically gospel-centered life. That's a controversial message, okay? So what we don't need to do is bring any unnecessary controversy into this conversation. So we don't back any particular uh, party. We sing about one great country that is God's country, the kingdom of God, okay? The kingdom of God. Ultimately, we are citizens to a greater country that is the new heavens and the new earth, okay? So for some of you, I imagine this will set you at ease, but I'm not going to say or pick a particular party or candidate. For others of you, that may be a little disappointing. But Jesus does not have an ultimate political party allegiance. Jesus does not have an ultimate political party allegiance. He only and mainly advocates for his kingdom. The goal of the church should be to teach biblical principles that will inform political positions, okay? So, so I've already talked about some political positions. I've talked about political positions concerning abortion and a lot of other things. So what the church is doing, it's not aligning up with political parties. Rather, we're teaching biblical truths which will inform where you land politically. That, that's, that's, what, that's what we do. We want GCC, listen to this, we want Gospel Community Church to be a place where people of differing political views can meet and hear the gospel and know Jesus greater and deeper, okay? That, that's the hope of our church, okay? Moving along, number two. Number two, the church should teach its people to be good citizens. So, so what's the role of the church in government and politics? Well, we teach our people, we, we teach our church members to be good citizens. Romans 13, one through two. This is from our reading of the word this morning. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. Just, just pause for a second and ask yourselves, what government was over Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote that? The Roman government, the, the Roman government who would soon be hunting Christians and killing them in the streets, feeding them to wild animals in the games. I mean, and, and to that government, he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Listen, they had it a lot worse than we do. So, here is what he does. He tells us the what to do. What should we do? Obey the government. And he also gives us the why. Therefore, whoever resists, this is verse two, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed. Here's what I want you to know. Government is good and it is made to reflect God's authority. Just because there is corruption in the government does not mean it is not under God's sovereign rule. God can use evil people and evil governments for his goodwill and purposes, okay? So, so how do governments get their authority and power? God gives it to them. But, but wait a second, what about those evil governments, those evil governments overseas and far, far away? What about those evil governments? Yep, 
They get their authority from God. But, but that doesn't sound right, does it? And God can use evil people and evil, evil governments for his good will and his good purposes. Everything, everything bends to the will of God. First Peter 2, 13 through 14, be subject for the Lord's sake. That's important. Be su- okay, why should we obey the government? For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those what is good. This means Christians should obey the law. Obey the law. Okay, we, we, we pay our taxes. It means we are good citizens. It means that Christians should not be jerks to police officers. Amen? Amen. Okay? We're good citizens. We pay our taxes. We obey the law. We're, we're not jerks to police officers and, and government officials and things like that, okay? We're good citizens. For Christ's sake. Did, did, did you see that? Did you see? Be, for the Lord's sake. Because, Christians, listen, what I've been saying, we're ambassadors here. We're, we're representing Jesus' name here. We should be fighting to restrain evil here. We, we're, we're here um, as his representatives. Therefore, we're good citizens. Now, some of you will be thinking, and just like the questions addressed earlier on, what if I'm asked to do something that is contrary to my faith? If we're saying that you should obey the law, uh, you should be good citizens, what should I do uh, if I'm asked to do something that is contrary uh, to my faith? I've got a little bit of extra time, so I'm just going to go to Acts really quick. I want to show you this passage. We, we know it well as we've been studying through the book of Acts, and we completed that series. I just want to go to Acts 4 and see if I can find it uh, really quickly. If, you're, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Acts chapter 4. Uh, here in this passage, we, we see uh, John and Peter. I'm just going to start it at 13. Uh, now, when they saw, this is the governing authorities. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man whom was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For the notable sign has been performed and is evident the inhabitants in Jerusalem, they cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach anyone in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them. Listen, this is so awesome. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, the government, the governing authorities, rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. So there they are. They're in front of the government. The government says, stop preaching and teaching Jesus. You can't do that anymore. And they say, uh, well, we'll let you judge for yourself, meaning we've already decided. We'll let you judge for yourself. Uh, should we listen to you or to God? Okay, uh, God, really, really big deal. You, not so much. Really, really little deal. So who should we listen to? And they left there and continued to preach and teach 
the gospel. Here's what that means for us as, as Christians, as citizens here in this country. It means that we obey the state, we don't worship the state. It means that as Christians, we leave room in our theology for civil disobedience. It means that if one day I am told that to say that certain and particular lifestyles are a a sin, if I'm to say that, that is a hate crime, and I should not say that anymore, here's what that means. It means that I should hope and pray to have the courage to go to jail. Now, I don't know if I will, but I hope and pray that I do. I hope and pray that, that if in this country um, preaching the gospel ever becomes outlawed or, or is classified as hate speech, I hope and pray that this church, these leaders and you people, we will rally together and say, if preaching the gospel is against the law, take me to jail. As representatives of Christ, we will faithfully preach the gospel and if necessary, suffer the consequences. This has been modeled for us time and time and time again in the scriptures where men and women have have defied the government and continued to preach the kingdom and the gospel. So we leave room in our theology for civil disobedience, but we obey the laws that are not contrary to our faith. Number three, what should the church do? The church should encourage people to pray for its leaders. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2 First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in high positions, that, they may, that uh, we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is the hope of the Christian. The hope of the Christian is to lead a quiet life, godly and dignified. This is what our aim is. This is what our goal is. How do we get there? Uh, Well, what the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy here in this text is that we do that, a way that we do that is by praying for our leaders, by praying for the president, by praying for governors, by praying for, for councils and senates and all that stuff, by praying for all of those people. And so listen, if you're a person in this room who, who has politically strong convictions, okay, and, and if that's you, I'm with you. I have very strong political convictions. If you want to know what they are, I would love for us to sit down and talk when I'm not standing on this stage, and I will tell you all of them. But before we go bashing this candidate or this person or this guy who holds office, first stop and ask yourself, have I prayed for them? Have I prayed for them? How many times have you been standing in a circle of Christians and this person or that person is railing on about how idiot, this, you know, this guy's an idiot, this, this gal's an idiot, I can't believe, blah, blah, blah. Have you prayed for them? Because our, our call here, clearly from the scripture, is to pray for those people and, and the church should be praying for them and the church should be advocating that our people pray for people in office. Again, what should the church be doing as far as politics are concerned? Number four, and lastly, my favorite, the church should teach Christians not to be total jerks when expressing their political positions. (sighs) Okay, it is possible for genuine Christians to disagree, so don't assume your political position is the Christian position. That's a huge mistake to say, I have landed in this camp, 
Okay, I've landed in the Republican camp and the Democratic camp and the Independent camp. I've landed here. I am backing this candidate, and this is what all Christians must do and should do because it's right. And if you don't do it, you're stupid. That, don't do that. Understand that Christians, legitimate, true, Bible-believing, God-loving Christians are going to disagree on these issues. Again, I promise if you want to sit down with me and talk, you'll probably disagree with me on some of my views. But what, what would be ignorant to do um, is to then to, to, to be a jerk about it, um, to, to, to just be overbearing and overridden. Well, you're just, you're just wrong. You don't even know what you're talking about. And, and we've got to learn to disagree disagree with one another in an agreeable way to fight with each other like brothers, not as true enemies. Okay, there's a, there's a different way. You guys get that? There's a different way brothers fight with each other than the way true enemies fight with each other. You know, brothers hurt each other. Not that bad though. Um, but, but true enemies are out to kill one another. So, so we fight with each other like brothers, not like enemies. And we've got to learn to disagree in an agreeable way. So a part of what the church should do is to seek to people Seek for people to not be total jerks when doing this. Again, think about Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So ask yourself, when I am debating politics, when I'm talking with people about my political positions, am I showing the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. When I'm politically debating we're talking about these issues, am I showing that to be, to be true? Okay, I'll close with this. What does Jesus have to say about politics? What does Jesus have to say about politics? Okay, some of you might be thinking to yourself, did, did Jesus ever talk about politics? I don't, I don't think he did. Well, he did. Mark 12, Mark 12, I'll start in verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. I'll just pause right there. Um, again, if, if you're politically minded and know a little bit of Bible history, that's hilarious, okay? Uh, that basically said, uh, and they sent to them some of the Democrats uh, and some of the Republicans. They got together on the same team. They linked arms in joyous occasion, right? That's hilarious. And in the same way, this is what's happening in this text. The Pharisees would have been Jewish nationalists, Right, Jewish, national, very strict, very, very tight to the law and all the Old Testament rules, and they loved their country and they hated Roman rule. The Herodians, ah, not so much. They're a little more loose with the law, um, and they didn't mind the Roman rule so much because they had learned how to function and learned how to, you know, be prosperous under Roman rule. So they were kind of loyal to Roman rule. So these two political parties who were always at odds, always fighting each other, always hating each other, always hurling accusations at one another, all of a sudden, when they go to talk to Jesus, they become best friends. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, oh, I mean, this is, this is politics at its best. Watch this. Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Right? Just like a politician. Awesome. Butter him up. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Okay? Now, this question, again, is designed to trap him. You go one way, 
Okay, if you say, no, you shouldn't pay, that is what the Pharisees kind of wanted him to say because they're Jewish nationalists and they don't like Roman rule. The Herodians, though, they want him to say yes because they prefer, they like the Roman government. So they're there together to ask him this question because no matter if you answer yes, you're in trouble. If you answer no, you're in trouble. Basically, here's what he has to choose between. Choose between your popularity among the Jewish people and your name and your fame, okay? Or choose death. Because if he says, no, you shouldn't pay it, then he's seen as a rebel and the government would kill him. Okay, so choose between popularity and, and the people liking you or, or choose the, against the government and they kill you. Which one do you choose, Jesus? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why must you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. And he took it. Now, this particular coin um, has the, the face of Caesar on it and it has an inscription on it that essentially says something like, uh, he, he is a God. Okay, like Caesar is, is God or Caesar, the, the son of God. And it was that particular coin that they had to use to pay the tax. Okay. And they brought one and he said to, uh, to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. This is classic Jesus. This is classic judo Jesus. They, they come at him with force and what he does is he takes that force that's coming at him and he flips it around back on them. Boom, gotcha. You're not gonna pin me down. He uses what they were trying to do against them. This question is incredibly complicated, but he sails through it with great ease. This is absolutely shocking what Jesus says here. He begins by saying, Who's on it? Okay, well, Caesar's on it. His inscription is on it. So render to Caesar what is Caesar's. This, this is an incredibly shocking statement. It might not be that shocking to us because we've heard it a lot, but it's an incredibly shocking statement because this coin has the face of this guy on it and it's proclaiming he's God. So why, why wouldn't Jesus say, I'm not touching that thing. I, don't bring me a denarius. I don't wanna touch it. I don't wanna see it. It's, it's pure blasphemy. He doesn't say that. He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Why is he doing this? How can he say that? Well, he's saying that because Christians are international. We are an international people. We, we, we belong to a kingdom, right? God's kingdom. Do we love this country? I hope that you love this country. This is the greatest country in the world, in my opinion. I hope you love this country, but I am ultimately a citizen of the kingdom that is yet to come, amen? So, so it, yeah, uh, so here's what Jesus is saying. By this, Jesus shows us that we are not required to follow only governments who teach and preach the one true God of the Bible. We belong to a different king and country, okay? He, he's showing us that that's, okay. Watch this though, he doesn't not answer the question. He has asked a politically charged question and he doesn't say, uh, Christians don't engage in politics. He, he engages it. He answers it. They ask him a political question and he doesn't say, ah, I don't want to answer that question. I only want to tell you about um, my death, burial, and resurrection. No, he, he answers it in that, in that way, okay? He is saying, this is so crazy. I, I, I heard a pastor say this today, in, um, this week during my study. When Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar, he is saying, pay the tax 
that pays the salary of the guy who is about to drive nails through my hands and through my feet. Not because they are right, but because God is sovereign over it and will use it for good. That's crazy. Have you ever thought of what he says? Render to Caesar what Caesar's. He's saying, pay that guy's salary who's gonna come and, and, and crucify me. But God is gonna use that crucifixion for good because God is sovereign ruler over all governments everywhere. So we render to Caesar what is Caesar. What is so amazing is he does not stop there. Render to Caesar what the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. That is his main point. Does he engage in the, the political arena and, 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 and answer that question politically? Absolutely. And he also then moves into the religious world or gives it a religious answer by saying, and give to God the things that are God's. The question is, what is God's? You are, your, give the coin to Caesar, but give yourself to God is what he's saying. Give to God what is rightfully his. Well, what's rightfully his? Your life, your life is rightfully his. He has given it to you. He has given you purpose, meaning hope, joy. He's, he's given you blessings upon blessings throughout your whole life. And he's saying, whatever you do from here on out, honor God with your whole life. Whether you go to work, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're changing diapers or, or fixing a car or cutting the grass or preparing food, all that we do is to be done to God's glory, to see him praised and worshiped. So give to God what is God's. What's that? Your whole life. That was Jesus' main point. Jesus was saying, I am here to collect what is due. What's due? You are. You are due. Now, I'll close with this thought. Friends, um, I, I want you to know uh, government is not the answer. Government is not the answer. We should, I, I, hope, I hope that you're hearing me say, we should engage in political processes. Uh, we, we should advocate for laws that restrain evil. But at the end of the day, that is not our ultimate hope. At the end of the day, we are not looking to politicians or policies or parties to fix, ultimately fix what's wrong and broken in this world. What we are looking to to fix what is wrong and broken in this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Government is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And so do we engage with, with politics to help restrain evil? Absolutely. And we take our faith right with us into the public arena and we proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ has come and he has lived the life that we should have lived. He has died the death we should have died in our place for our sins. And it is that great news that says, I am a part of not only this great nation, but also the kingdom of God. Amen? Let me pray. Father, I pray that um, anything unhelpful or unuseful that I have said would disappear and go away from hearts and minds, but all truth from your word would remain and sink deeply into our souls and into our spirits. I pray that this complicated and uh, sometimes frustrating and confusing uh, topic of politics um, would be 
heard uh, today, not through me or through what I've had to say, but we will have heard it and seen it and experienced it through the lens of your gospel. Um, So I pray that we would leave today as Christians who are seeking to be well-informed about parties and politics, uh, we are seeking to leave here today to say, I am a represent, uh, representative of the Most High God, uh, and so I need to work to restrain evil, uh, but that is not ultimately what I am to do. Ultimately, um, I am to sp- speak and preach the gospel. Father, I pray that this church would never get caught up and get lost Uh, We would remember that our foundation is the gospel. We would remember that our king is Jesus. We would remember that our country is the kingdom of heaven, which is to come. We would see ourselves as sojourners and exiles uh, here in this great country, but we would know and see and feel and experience that there is a greater kingdom and a greater king uh, that is to come. We look forward to that great day. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.